I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1. And this is going to be actually the passages that we're going to be looking at for the next eight weeks. So I want to encourage you to dive into this, read it, reread it, and study it because it's going to change, it's going to change your life. I promise you. Matthew chapter 5. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. Everybody say, I'm salt. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Everybody say, I'm the light. And a town built on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light Shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This morning, I want to start a brand new series entitled Living the Upside Down Life. Living the Upside Down Life. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually gathers a crowd of people together. In Matthew 5, Jesus is in the region of Galilee. And he is preaching about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the entire gospel is really about Jesus proclaiming, bringing the kingdom of God down to earth. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. And we know that the father says, this is my son that I, that I love, that I'm pleased with. And the spirit of God comes and, and, and descends upon Jesus. And then the spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness. And he's in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's in the wilderness being tempted of the enemy. Aren't you glad that Jesus became a man and he's tempted in every way like we are tempted? As the Bible says, that we've got a high priest that's been touched with the feelings of our weaknesses and our temptations so that we can go boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy in a time of need. Aren't you glad that Jesus understands us? Come on. 40 days, 40 nights. And that's why we're going to go through a 40-day transformation in our life as we read this book every day, as we gather together in one groups, and as we take notes on Sunday mornings, God wants to do something powerful in our life. And then in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus actually now finds himself in the region of Galilee. Now, I went there personally, physically. I was in the region of Galilee. I stood in a temple where Jesus preached. It was awesome. And Jesus now is going from town to town, and the Bible says that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogue, listen, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom 
and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill and with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them in large crowds, came to Galilee, uh, the Decapolis in Jerusalem and Judea and the region across the Jordan, and they followed Jesus. Now, Jesus comes, and he's actually proclaiming the power and the authority of the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said. He said, you need to pray, I need to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what Jesus does. He brings the kingdom of God down to earth. And guess what happens when he brings the kingdom of God down? The, the Bible tells us that he healed the sick because the kingdom of God came. He cast out demons. Listen, when the kingdom of God comes, God's miraculous power comes to God's people. Come on, somebody say amen. And that's why Jesus said, you need to pray for the kingdom of God. You need to pray for the authority of God. You need to pray for the blessing of the kingdom of God on your life. And so Jesus begins to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. And large crowds begin to follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is healing the sick. Jesus is raising the dead. He's feeding the thousands. He's casting out demons. And many of the people believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah because they see him do great miracles, but they can't understand that he's actually going to be a suffering Messiah. They can't understand that Jesus actually is going to turn their world upside down. You see, the Jews were taught that a Messiah would come and a Messiah would actually overthrow the Roman government. Why? Because the Romans were vicious, they were cruel, and they treated the Jews with unbelievable harshness and they were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and go into Jerusalem and go into the Roman governments and go into the Roman strongholds and destroy the Romans. And yet Jesus knows that and Jesus is preaching the kingdom. And so as a result of that, he now gathers the people together and they don't hear what they expect to hear. See, they were taught that if you, you, you serve God and you love God and you follow the law, that God is obligated to bless you with finances, that God is obligated to bless you with protection, that God is obligated to destroy all your enemies. And now Jesus is about to turn their world upside down. Now Jesus is about to tell them things that they can't really swallow. And the Bible says many of them, they departed from Jesus because of his hard sayings, because they could not understand what Jesus was saying. Because they were taught all their lives that if they do the right thing, God is going to protect them. But now Jesus says that God is going to do something different in their life when the kingdom of God comes. And so Jesus decides to give the Jews a lesson in true kingdom living. That's when Jesus decides to reveal the secret to the kingdom of God. That's when Jesus decides to turn all of their thinking upside down. That's when Jesus decides to challenge everyone's thinking and get them to start thinking a whole nother way. In fact, it was so radical. It was so different. It was so countercultural that most people could not embrace what he was saying. Matthew chapter 5 says, when Jesus had attracted a great big crowd, 
when everyone in the region heard and saw that Jesus was doing some really incredible miracles, Jesus then grabs them together and begins to share about them. Now, what does he do? He goes up to the mountainside, and the Bible says that Jesus sits down and he begins to teach. Why? Because a leader or a rabbi would actually sit down and all the people would stand up. So everybody, I want you to stand up while I sit down and teach today. That's three obedient people that stood up. Everybody else is like, I ain't standing up. I know how long you could teach. And I suppose the reason why Jesus sat down was because he wanted to see how many people are going to hang around long enough. He wanted to see how many people were going to stand up long enough to listen to what he had to say. And the Bible says that he begins to teach, and he says, if you really want to be satisfied in life, if you really want to be happy, if you really want to experience true fulfillment in your life, if you want to be blessed by God, you must embrace spiritual poverty. Wait a minute. Hold on. You must be poor. Wait, 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 wait. We were taught that if we embrace the kingdom, we're going to be rich. We were taught that if we do the will of God, that we're going to, we're going to prosper. Now you're telling us that we got to embrace poverty in our life. Jesus said, if you want to be happy, you've got to be able to really be sorrowful. You've got to be able to, to really understand what meekness is. You can't, you can't just have strength, but you've got to take the strength and you've got to couple it with meekness so that you can be merciful. You need to be a peacemaker, not a peace faker, not a peace breaker, because if you're a peacemaker, then you're going to be called the children of God. You need to understand that you're going to be persecuted for your faith. So your enemies are going to, at times, seem to triumph over you. And the truth is, Jesus is actually saying, you must embrace everything that seems to be totally contrary to the present world philosophy and standards of life. In essence, to the world, you must decide to live the upside down life. And if you do, you're going to be happy. If you do, you're going to find the pathway to the blessed life. You're going to experience kingdom living. And you will find the true source of God's kingdom, authority, and power in your life. And thus, Jesus begins to unpackage for us what it truly means to be blessed. And throughout all of the scriptures, we find that Jesus is talking about the blessed life according to God's kingdom. And so Jesus actually gives us eight Beatitudes, or eight attitudes. And that's why for the next 40 days, we're going to dive into the B attitudes. I want to call this the 40-day journey of changing, transforming our attitude so that we can gain access to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, if you really want to be blessed, you have to do this. Now, the word blessed is a very interesting word. And the Greek word for blessed is makarios, and it means this. It means to find total satisfaction from experiencing the fullness of something in your life. Remember that. So being blessed actually means to be happy, but we can't actually use the English word for happy. Because the English word for happy has the connotation that if everything's happening good in your life, then you're happy. 
And so therefore, you have happy happiness based on what's happening in your life. So it's really a very shallow definition of happiness. And so we've got to dig deep into the Greek. And, and in the Greek, the word for happy or blessed actually means that you are content, that you are full, that you are fulfilled, that you find your contentment in the fullness of something or someone. Remember that. Follow me on this. That's really important. So Jesus says, happy, blessed, satisfied is the person who embraces my way of living, which is totally opposite from the world. Jesus gives us eight keys to being blessed, eight ways to experience God's blessing in our life. Now listen to me. God wants to bless his people. God loves to bless his people. God loves to bless your marriage. He loves to bless your relationships. He wants to bless you in every way God wants to bless you. He wants to bless your relationships. He wants to bless our church. He wants to bless our community. And now listen, I want to stop right here for a moment. True blessings don't always come in the form of money or things. True blessings come in the form of, of true happiness, true contentment, true joy, true peace, true fulfillment that goes far beyond anything that this world could ever offer you and I. That's why Jesus said, your treasure doesn't belong on this earth. That's why Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven. Why? Because there's coming a day when all of our treasures that we have on this earth is going to rot away. It's not going to go with us to heaven. We can't bring it with us to heaven. And therefore, Jesus goes, it goes deeper than money. It goes deeper than things. Now, that doesn't mean that God has a real problem about giving you things that you need or want in your life. God wants to bless you. But I'm not, I'm not talking about the superficial, shallow Christianity that we've learned for so long in the churches uh, that says that if you come to God and you do what God wants you to do, God's going to give you a new Cadillac and he's going to give you a big house and all of that. No, 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 no. God is going to give you something that is so much more profound and so much more deeper than that. He's going to give you a joy that the world can't offer. He's going to give you a peace that passes all understanding. He's going to give you a sense of purpose. He's going to give you a sense of meaning. He's going to put your life on a solid rock. He's going to give you a legacy. He's going to give you character. He's going to give you integrity. And you and me, we're going to be men and women of God who walk with the king. And then the power of God and the kingdom of God will become available to us in our life. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So Jesus says, and he begins with this first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, not just the poor, but the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, I believe that this is the most important beatitude out of them all. Why? Because I believe that all the other beatitudes are actually built on the foundation of poverty of spirit. Someone once said it this way. I want you to listen carefully. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pronounces the blessedness of the person who approaches life from a certain perspective. He says that a person will experience the fullness of all that God is if he approaches life with the realization of being poor in spirit. That's the beginning of living the blessed life. This realization produces within each person a mourning over his spiritual condition. This condition of mourning over one's spiritual condition produces meekness or openness 
This, in turn, produces a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. At this state, the person becomes a testimony of the mercy of God, which produces a purity of heart from which that person will see God. Those who are at peace with God bring the message of God's peace. As a result of this mature life in Christ, a person can expect to be persecuted by the world. Wow. Wow. Let me say it in the Greek. Wow. Let me say it in Jamaican. Wow, man. So, so number one, Jesus said, bless or happy, satisfied, truly satisfied, is the person who understands what it means to be poor in spirit. Now, I know that some people say, how in the world can I be happy when I'm poor? Well, in other words, Jesus tells us the pathway to God's kingdom, the pathway to God's power, the pathway to God's anointing, the pathway to God's provision and joy and peace and mercy and grace is found in being poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Listen to me. I want you to write this down in your books. And if you haven't gotten your books yet, after the service, I want you to write it down somewhere so you can transfer it into your book. Listen, being poor in spirit means this. I know, I am deeply convinced, I am fully aware that I am nothing without God. Being poor in spirit means that we get to the point in our life where we actually understand that we are nothing without God. We can do nothing without God, that God is everything in our life. Friend, I want you to know today, you can have all the money in the world. You can have all the fame in the world. Look at me. Maybe you're watching via live stream today. Maybe you're watching down in the cafe today. Wherever you are, I want to tell everyone in this room, and I want to be very clear. You can't take your money with you. You can work hard. People can applaud you. You can be famous in this world, but all your money's going to rot away, and one day you're going to stand before a holy God, and God's not going to want to know how much money you had. He's not going to want to know how famous you were in this world he's going to want to know one thing have you put your full trust in Christ alone you will stand before God one day and God will say there's only one way into heaven he is the way the truth and the life and no man goes to the father but through Jesus Christ and when we are poor in spirit we recognize that we can't wake up in the morning unless God gives us the breath to wake up in the morning that we can't do what we do without God's strength in our life and when you get to that point in your life I believe the kingdom of God comes available to you come on somebody glory to God you can't bring it with you and when we recognize that God is the author of our life when we recognize that God is the creator of all things when we recognize that it's in him and through him and by him that we have all things then we come to the foot of the cross and we recognize Lord I'm nothing without you you see, the word poor in the Greek actually means a person who is completely destitute. It actually means to be completely at the mercy of someone else. To be poor means that we're absolutely nothing. We have nothing to offer, nothing to give, nothing of any value. And the truth is nobody, nobody wants to be in that condition. Come on. 
See, we're taught by the world that we need to be strong, have it all together, make sure that we make enough money, make sure that we've got enough power. You see, the world tells us be strong. The world tells us be self-reliant, be self-dependent. Don't depend on anyone else. We don't like to be dependent on someone else. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the man who recognized that he's destitute. Blessed is the woman who recognized that they're nothing without God in their life. The world teaches us that we need to be independent. Jesus teaches us that we need to be dependent. Listen to me. Some people say that Christianity is a crutch. And because it's a crutch, we should uh, be repelled by it and reject it. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you right now. My Christianity is my crutch. Jesus is my crutch. Here's the difference. My Jesus never fails me. My Jesus never fails me. He always walks with me. He always is going to be there for me. Everything else is going to fail me. But I am dependent on God for everything in my life. And when you get to the point in your life where you are so dependent on God, he says the kingdom of God then becomes available to you. You see, in the context, people were taught that someone could actually be right before God and get to heaven and be blessed based on the good things that they do in their life. So if we truly want to be blessed by God, we must be completely dependent on him alone for everything in our life. You know, Paul the Apostle says, in him we move and we breathe and we have our being. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Paul the Apostle was a very proud man. And he placed much of his self-identity in what he did as a Pharisee. Paul the Apostle was trained by some of the greatest rabbis. He was actually being trained and groomed to take over and be one of the most important rabbis of his community. And so he was filled with pride. He felt like, you know what, I'm flawless when it comes to the law. And as a result of that, when he started to hear the speaking, the preaching about Christianity, he was so repulsed from it. He was so turned off. Why? Because the, the, the people that were preaching about Christ were saying that you had to give everything up for Christ, that, that you had to understand that you're nothing without Christ, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And there's no way to get into heaven. There's no way to be righteous on your own. You must embrace. Christ and Christ alone. And Paul the Apostle, he hated the message so much that the Bible said that he persecuted the Christians and he'd go from town to town and he'd get Christians and he'd throw them into prison. In fact, he was right there when Stephen was stoned. But now he's on his way to Damascus. And while he's on his way to Damascus to, to get these criminals, these, these people that are preaching false doctrine and throw them into prison, he, he sees a bright light and he hears a, a voice and that voice is a, a voice of Jesus and, and Jesus says to Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And the Bible says right there, Paul understood that it was only by salvation or only by grace that he could be saved. And the Bible says now he embraces the gospel. I want you to notice what Paul says. Paul says in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. 
it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, and those mutilators of the flesh. For it, it is them who say that we should be circumcised. Look, no, notice verse 3. For it, it is we who are the circumcision who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks that he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He said, man, I believe that I was faultless based on doing what was right according to the law. How many know that the law cannot change you? In fact, the law was given for one reason, to lead us to Christ. And so Paul the Apostle says, all of these things that I ever accomplished in my life, all the things that I ever did in my life, I consider them like garbage that I might be found in Christ. Listen to what he said. He said, but whatever was to my gain, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whose sake I have lost all things. He said, I've lost everything so I can gain everything. I've lost everything so that I can gain the most important thing. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found totally in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I simply want to do one thing. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering because I want to become like him in his death, so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul the Apostle gets to that point in his life where he recognizes that Christ is all. Christ is all that he needs in his life. And that he recognizes that in Christ he lives and he moves and he has his being. Can you imagine if we truly believe that? Could you imagine if every one of us in this room begin to live a life that actually demonstrates our full reliance on God alone? that we would get out of bed in the morning and we would say, God, if you don't let me breathe, I won't breathe today. Lord, if you don't guide me, I can't go. Just like Moses said, Lord, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. You see, the Bible is filled with men and women of God that were used mightily of God, not because they were strong in themselves, but because they recognized that their power, they recognized their authority, they recognized their anointing, they recognized that any good thing that ever came in their life was because because of God alone. That's why David could face the giant. That's why Daniel could go in the lion's den. That's why the three Hebrew boys can go into the fire. That's why Joseph could face what he faced. That's why Peter could face what he faced. Why? Because they all knew this one thing. Without God, they could do nothing. In him we live and breathe and have our being. Can you imagine how your life, can you imagine how my life would be changed completely? When we get up every morning and we say, God, I'm nothing without you. Lord, I can't do it without you, Lord God. It's only by your grace in my life. We would stop trying to be good on our own. We'd, we'd stop trying to, to make things work out for ourselves. We would be completely reliant on God. 
there would be a trust that would go so deep in our life. And when we would do that, what would happen would be is the kingdom of God then would be available to us. And so the truth is, many Christians somehow believe that they are somehow responsible for the things that they have. My friend, God, make no mistake, is the creator of all things. God is the sustainer of all things. God is the author of all things. God is the source of all things. God is the cause of all things. And God is the originator of all things. He is the author and finisher of all things. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and nothing that was created was not created by Him, but Him alone. As the Word of the Lord says that in Him we move and breathe and have our being, and the Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, in Him and through Him and by Him and for Him all things are held together, and nothing that's been created has not been created without Jesus Christ so that He would get the supremacy. Let me tell you something. Friend, Jesus holds everything together. He holds every molecule. He holds every atom. He holds every planet. He holds every star. He holds every galaxy. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And even if you don't believe in Him, even if you don't embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, aren't you glad that God is still a merciful God? That you don't drop dead and die right now? Because if He took the breath out of you, you would drop dead and you would die because He's the author of life. John 1, 1, nothing in this world has been outside of God's creative power through his son, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In another translation, it says, God blesses those who realize their need for him and recognize they're spiritually helpless. Who, listen to me, who depend only on him who know they have great spiritual need i love what psalms 146 says psalms 146 says the lord blesses there's that word bless the lord satisfies the lord sustains the lord blesses everyone who trusts in him and depends on him and so here's another definition of spiritual poverty Spiritual poverty means that we believe with all our heart that we are completely dependent on God for everything. I want you to write that down. Spiritual dependence on God, physical dependence on God, relational dependence on God, emotional dependence on God. Spiritual poverty means I am totally dependent on God for everything. Come on, say that with me. I am totally dependent on God for everything. So this morning, I actually really quick want to give you several ways that you can be blessed by God. Jesus said, write this down. Jesus said, if you and I truly want to be happy, find true contentment, be blessed by God, we have to depend on him alone for our salvation. It's not Jesus plus something else but it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Notice what Paul said. He said, whatever was to my, my profit, my gain, I consider lost so that I could be, listen to me, found in Christ alone. I, I know that some of us, we have this idea that, yes, Jesus died on the cross for us, 
And I'm glad that he died on the cross, but somehow now I've got to be a better person. I can't tell you how many people week after week after week wonder if they died today, whether they'd go to heaven or not, based on the fact that they're blowing it all the time. They're sinning, you know? But the Bible tells us that it is by grace we are saved, not by works. And what is grace? Grace is God giving us what we need, when we need it, even though we don't deserve it. So, so we could never earn our way into heaven. We could never be good enough. We could never be righteous enough. We could never be holy enough. All of our works are like filthy rags before the Lord. And if we could get ourselves to heaven on our good works, Jesus was a fool for dying on the cross. And so all of our salvation is found in Christ alone. It is finished. It's found in him and him alone. Now, we know that. We know that our entrance into heaven is based on the, the finished work of the cross. But how many of us know that so often we are filled with guilt and condemnation in our life because we're not measuring up to what we believe God wants for our life? We're struggling. I mean, come on, let's, let's face it. All of us in this room, we struggle with something. And the truth is the Ten Commandments were never given to us so that we would look at them and say, oh, I can do this. I can, I, can, I can follow these commandments. I mean, how many of you know that it's impossible to follow all of the commandments? I, I remember when I first got saved, I was 19 years old, I got saved. And, and I thought to myself, well, if the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and God is greater than anything else in the world, he lives inside of me, I don't have to sin anymore. And I remember going to my youth pastor and saying, hey, Dave, listen, I want you to know that I, I, I plan on never sinning again in my life. I'm not going to sin. I, I, I will never sin until I die. He goes, okay, come back in 20 years and tell me how that worked out. <laughs> now, I'm not telling you that, that, that you're a sinner because the Bible says that when we're born again, we're no longer sinners. Hmm? We're not sinners saved by grace. We're saints who were sinners now saved by grace. That's important to understand. Why? Because I don't make it a practice every day of my life to sin. But I'm still human. You're human. And the Ten Commandments were given to us to show us, as the Bible says, they were our schoolmaster leading us to Christ. You see, the Ten Commandments, the law was given so that we could actually recognize, I can't do this. It's impossible. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments. Have you ever used the name of the Lord in vain? Oh, no, I never used the Lord in vain. Oh, yeah. You know how you use the name of the Lord in vain? When, you're, when you come to church and you pretend like you're worshiping, but you're thinking about McDonald's. Come on, somebody. Hmm? You're just going through the motions. You're just going through the motions. That's using the name of the Lord in vain. Hmm? How about not having any idols? Oh, I don't have any idols. I don't have, those. I don't have that wooden carved idol in the corner of my living room. No, you've got a flat screen TV in the corner of your living room that's become an idol to you. You know, anything in our life that takes the place of God in our life becomes an idol. Anything that we go to for our peace and our joy, our sense of security, anything we keep on hitting, anything we're depending on more than God has become an idol in our life. Oh boy, it's getting hot in here now. How about lying? Have you ever lied before? Have you ever told a half truth before? How many of you have lied before? Let me see your hands. Okay, the rest of you, you're lying right now. You're lying, right? 
See, we can't. We can't follow the Ten Commandments. Yet the Bible says that if we break them, we're separated from God. And in, just in case you think that you follow the nine commandments, the last one, the tenth one says, don't even want to do it. Wow. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Huh. Last one, don't even want to do it. Uh-oh. Don't cover your neighbors, whatever. Uh-oh. See, but, the, but Paul says the law was given for one reason. The law was given like a flashlight, like a huge light, that it would illuminate our souls and make us understand, man, I'm in trouble, and I need a Savior. And guess what? You have a Savior. Hallelujah. His name is Jesus. And he's come into this world to die and take all of your penalty of all of your sin on the cross and die for you in your place so that you can live a new life. Hallelujah. But it's all by grace. So I know that some of you are struggling. I know some of you feel guilty. There's condemnation. When you feel guilty and you feel condemned, the Bible says walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Christ will forgive you of your sins when you confess it before the Lord and recognize I need a Savior. You can't do it on your own. Just embrace the Savior today. Secondly, if Jesus said, if you're truly going to be happy in your life, listen to me, look at me. This is for the young people, young people and everyone who thinks they're young. That's Angelo Bucolo right here. Everyone in this room, if you're going to be happy, listen to me carefully. Jesus said, if you want to be blessed in your life, then you have to depend on God's wisdom. And only on God's wisdom. You know why? Because the Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. And oh, if, if people would only really embrace the wisdom of God in their life. You see, when you get to the place where you understand that you're nothing without God, that you need him in every area of your life, then you will say like Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the Bible says, if I lack wisdom, I'm to go to God, and God's gonna give me the wisdom I need, and he's not gonna give it to me sparingly. He's gonna give it to me generously. Why? Because he loves me, and he wants to guide me into all truth. And man, I wouldn't have to do so much marriage counseling. I wouldn't have to do so much counseling of people. I wouldn't have to go get them out of drug rehabilitation centers if they just started with the understanding that all wisdom comes from God alone. Where do I get that wisdom? I get it from his word. Hallelujah. Could you imagine how our life would change radically if we, if we truly believed that God has wisdom for every situation in my life and that I am holy totally dependent on God's wisdom for everything in my life. I mean, we'd go to God every day. We'd open the word every day. We'd read the word every day. I made a promise to God that I'd never go to sleep without reading his word. Why? Because I need his wisdom. If we, if we were poor in spirit, if we truly believed that, we'd say, God, before I leave my house today, I need a word from you. God, I need your wisdom to direct me on this decision that I'm going to make, Lord. 
Lord, I don't know who to marry, but God, you've got principles in your word. And if I follow those principles in your word, God, I know that I'll be blessed. Jesus said, when you trust in God's wisdom and his wisdom alone, man, the outcome of that is you're going to have a blessed marriage. You're going to have a blessed family. You're going to have a blessed home. You're going to have a blessed life. It's not going to be an easy life. Who said it was going to be easy? Come on. The TV preacher told you it was going to be easy. But it's not going to be easy. It's just going to be blessed. Hallelujah. Because you're going to find your satisfaction in him alone. Notice what the Bible says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding. In another translation, it says this, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Wow. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you ain't so smart after all. You ain't so smart after all. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. He said, but trust in God's wisdom alone. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge that you need wisdom from God. And guess what happens? He opens the kingdom to you, and he makes your path straight. Come on, somebody. So how do we get wisdom? By his word. How do we get wisdom? By prayer. How do we get wisdom? By counsel from those that are in authority, those that love you enough, those that have poured out their lives for you. The Bible says in the counsel of many, there is safety. Number three, Jesus said, if you want to truly be happy, then you have to learn how to depend on his strength. Psalms 84 says, you bless all those who depend on you for their strength. I love what Isaiah 41 or 40, 31 says. It says, those who, listen to me, wait on the Lord. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, don't fall asleep right now. This is too important. If they're sleeping, smack them. Smack them. It is too important. I just heard somebody. <laughs> those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Now listen to me. That word wait on the Lord doesn't mean that you just sit there. And you just go, okay, God, I'm just going to wait until you do something. I'm going to watch TV all day long. I'm going to watch Oprah. I'm going to watch Jerry Springer, crazy man that he is. I'm going to watch people fighting with each other. I'm, a, I'm just going to wait till God shows up. No, 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 no. The word wait on the Lord means you're waiting on his wisdom. You're waiting on his strength. You're waiting on him by spending that time getting to know him, waiting on him, serving him and his kingdom. Those that wait upon the Lord will receive strength. They'll mount up like wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and never faint. Psalms 71 says, I walk in the strength of the Lord, for he's my shelter. Psalm 62 tells us that only him alone, he becomes my strength because he becomes my shelter. Now, Paul, the apostle, he's flowing, man. He's embraced Christ as his savior. God's done a radical work in his life. And the Bible says because God was doing a radical work in his life that Paul received these revelations from God. Now, listen to me. I'm going somewhere right now. He received these revelations from God. He was filled with the revelation of God. So Paul says, because of that, he said, I could have gotten proud thinking that it was my own doing. 
I could have, again, gotten so proud to think it was through my own strength that I was fulfilling the God calling in my life. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul the Apostle says, to keep me from becoming what? Conceited. You know what conceited means? It means that you think you're more than you are. Conceited means that you think you've done it on your own without God. So Paul the Apostle says, to keep me from becoming conceited, full of myself, proud. He says, God allowed me to have a thorn in my flesh. How many of you have a thorn in your flesh? Now, we don't know exactly what the thorn was. Why? Because everybody has a different thorn in our life. Some people thought it was a, a sickness that Paul had. Some people thought it was a messenger of Satan, a demon, whatever it might be. And I happen to believe it was a demon that, that actually was always trying to persecute Paul. And Paul cried out to God and said, God, I need you to deliver me from this thorn in my flesh we've all got a different thorn in our life maybe it's a thorn it's a person in your life don't look at your husband right now don't look at your wife but it's somebody in our life you've been praying it might be a boss it might be a child it might be somebody that you keep on praying for and you know that God's going to touch them but man oh man oh man you feel weak at times it might be a temptation it might be a weakness in our life it might even be a sickness in our life and we cry out to the Lord and we say God God heal me deliver me from this I can't take it anymore. Have you ever gotten to the point in your life where you say, God, I can't take one more day living like this? Oh, man, I tell you, that's the moment in your life when you recognize that God and only God can save you, only God can touch you, only God can deliver you, and you cry out to God and say, God, I can't take it anymore. And sometimes God comes and he delivers you right on the spot, and sometimes God says, no, you're going to wait. Woo! Paul said, I cried out to the Lord three times, and the Lord said, no. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, I am made strong. Oh, some of you, the reason why you're so weak is because you haven't recognized yet that he is your strength. That he's your strength today. And he wants to come today. And he wants to fill you with strength. When you've got the grace of God on your life, you've got everything you need to go through whatever you have to go through. And so what does Paul say? Paul said, I stopped praying about my thorn. And I started rejoicing in the strength of God in my life. I want you to know today, whoever you are in this room, whatever you're going through, there's enough strength God wants to give you strength to go through whatever you have to go through in your life. Do you feel weak today? Is there a thorn in your flesh that makes you feel insufficient? Then the Bible says if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. The Bible is filled with broken people, broken men and women who needed the grace of God. So the Bible says some trust in horses and chariots, but I'm going to trust in the strength of the Lord in my life. I love this verse, listen to what it says. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God, listen to me, shh, shh, shh. God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Fourthly, Jesus said, if you wanna be happy, if you wanna be content in your life, you've gotta learn how to depend on God's timing. Everybody say timing. Notice what the psalmist says, I trust in you, O Lord, you are my God. My time 
is in your hands. Wow. I want you to take time right now. Would you take time right now? Come on, everybody, take time. Lift up your hands like this and take time and just put it in the hands of the Lord. Because the truth is, some of us are waiting on that miracle. Some of us are waiting on that man. Some of us are waiting on that woman. Some of us are waiting on something that you know that God has promised in your life. And when you get to the point in your life where you recognize that God says to you, my time is not like your time and my ways are not like your ways. And when you put every situation in the hands of the Lord, what you're really doing is, is you're putting your timing into God's timing and saying, I trust you, Lord. Lord, I'm going to wait on you. But guess what? While you're waiting, God is working. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, all things work together. In the Greek, it says, and God is at work in your situation right now. It's God's waiting room in your life. He's teaching you how to trust you. God's timing is the best timing. Don't get ahead of God. Because when you get ahead of God, you do what Abraham does. You birth an Ishmael. And you don't want to birth an Ishmael. You want to birth the promise that God gave you. You see, God's given you a promise. Listen to me, young ladies. God has given you a promise that if you follow his wisdom, if you follow his will, he's going to find a man for you that's going to love God with all of his heart. But if you get ahead of God and you find that young man, oh, he's handsome, he's going to swoosh you off your feet because he's so handsome, but he doesn't love the Lord, guess what? You're going to get married and you're going to give birth to an Ishmael marriage. Come on. And you don't want that. You don't want to get ahead of God. Abraham, he's waiting, and he's waiting, and Sarah comes to whisper in his ear. And Sarah's going to come and whisper in your ear. Hey, man, maybe you can help God out. Hey, listen, help God out. He's, he's taking a long time with that promise. So help him out a little bit. God doesn't need your help. God knows the plans he has for you. He knows the timing. He knows the perfect situation. Why? Because God knows the past. He knows the present. And guess what? You don't know the future, but he does. And so don't birth an Ishmael. Give God your life and your time and say, God, I'm on your timetable. I'll wait on you until the promise comes. I am the Lord, he said, and when it's time, I will make these things happen quickly. Micah said, I trust the Lord God to save me, and I will wait for him to answer my prayer. God's waiting room. While you're waiting, God is working. Because Jesus does things in due season. I love what Galatians chapter 4 says as the worship team comes. When God set the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of the woman, born under the law. And so he says, let us then not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time. Everybody say the proper time. Everybody say the proper time. Everybody say in due season. Do you know what due season means? It means God's season. Hallelujah. See, you have got a season in your life. You're in a season in your life right now. And you might not like the season, but God has put you in that season so that he can grow your character. And in due season... We will reap a harvest if 
we don't give up. Lastly, if we're going to be happy, then we've got to get to the point where we depend on his ability to provide everything that we need. I love what Paul the Apostle says, and it's really in the context of being afraid and worried. Paul the Apostle says in Philippians chapter 4, he said, listen, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. You know what happens when you start worrying about your finances? Look at me. I'm going to close right here, right now. Do you know what happens when you start worrying about your life? Do you know what happens when you are consumed with worry over the future? You start taking matters into your own hands. And so Paul the Apostle says, don't worry about anything, but with prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Thanking God. Thanking God for what? I thank you, God, that my salvation is in your hands. I thank you, God that you know wisdom, you have all the wisdom in the world, you know what's best for me. I thank you, God, that I'm giving you my timing. Your timing is not my timing, and so I'm gonna give it to you, Lord God. I'm gonna wait on you. Lord, I'm gonna trust you, God, for everything that I need. Notice what he says. And when you do that, you can be assured of this one thing, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. See, when you start to worry about your future, your finances, you start doing things and it gets you out of the will of God. There's a man in this room that you're so worried about your finances that you need to get a third job. And you know when you get a third job, you start neglecting your family, start neglecting your marriage, and you get out of the will of God. Instead, he says, trust God with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll open up the kingdom. What happens when you fully depend on God for these things? Then God says, I'm gonna open my kingdom up to you. And guess what? When the kingdom comes, oh my goodness. When the kingdom comes, God begins to do a supernatural work in your life. I want you to bow your heads right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and help us to recognize that the only way that we could truly be happy in our life, God, is when we're totally dependent and trusting on you, Lord. So I wanna ask you a question today. Is there anybody in this room, if you died today, are you positively sure that when you stood before God that you would go to heaven? If you say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven, then listen to me. You need to stop trusting in yourself, in your own religion. And you need to start trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? You just open your heart and say, Jesus, be the Lord of every area of my life. I depend on you to forgive me of my sins. If that's you today, say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain that if I die today, I need Jesus in my life. I want you to raise your hand quickly right now. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, 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 yes. Others that are here today. Yes, I'm going to pray for you right now. And right after the service, listen to me right after the service there's going to be some folks that are going to be standing right here we call them altar counselors and they've got some information they have to give you you got to read it folks don't let this be an emotional response let this be a rational biblical response God wants to give you assurance of your salvation depending solely on him 
But I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray for everyone who raised their hand today, Lord. God, I pray that you would touch them today, Lord. And Lord, help them to recognize, Lord, that you did all the work on the cross for them, Lord. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Lord, it's a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Lord, may they receive it today, Lord. And may they make you Lord of their life. I want you to pray with me right now. If you raised your hand, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you know that you need to fully depend on Christ alone. I want you to pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to take away my sins, nailing it to the cross. You gave me eternal life. I receive you as Savior and Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for trying to depend on my own goodness to get me to heaven. I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, please don't leave until you see one of our counselors. They want to give you something and pray for you. But if you're here today, I'm going to talk to another group of people. You're here today and you say, Pastor, I haven't been totally trusting in God's wisdom in my life. Pastor, I want to start trusting in God's wisdom. I want to start seeking out God's wisdom for relationships and everything. I'm going to trust. I'm, I'm going to depend on God's wisdom. I want you to stand right now. I want you to stand where you are right now and say, yes, Lord. I'm going to begin to trust your wisdom for my work, your wisdom for my ways, your wisdom for my relationships, everything, Lord. I'm trusting you. Stand right now. Come on. Secondly, you say, Pastor Steve, I, I need to trust God for his timing in my life. I'm getting impatient. And I need God to help me to wait on his perfect timing. I want you to stand right now. Come on, stand. Say, yes, Lord, I'm trusting in your timing. Lord, I, I, I need to start depending on you for my strength, Lord. I feel weak today, Lord. And Lord, sometimes I, I want to be strong in myself, but Lord, I'm, I'm going to depend on your strength, Lord. I'm going to depend on your grace. I want you to stand right now. If you feel weak today, if you feel weak, just, just stand. And raise your hands towards heaven and say, thank you for your kingdom, Lord. Thank you for your kingdom, Lord, coming into me, Lord. And maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, I've just been stressed out about finances. I've been stressed out about money. I've been stressed out about my future. And I need to just put it in the hands of the Lord. You know, the Bible says we're to cast all our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. Throw it on God today and depend on him. He's got your back today. Stand right now and say, yes, Lord. I'm going to begin to trust you for my future. I'm going to begin to trust you for my finances. Just stand right now. And the rest of us in this room, everybody in this room, all of us, we need to get to the point in our life where Jesus is everything. And we depend on him for everything. You say, I want Jesus to be everything in my life. I'm depending on him for everything. I want you to stand right now. 